0: Would you pray with me now? Lord, we have gathered in this place today in order that we might worship your name, that we might give you praise and honor that are due that great name. And Jesus, as we look to you this morning, as we study your word, as we as we respond and, 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 and as movement uh, originated by your saving love, your atoning work for us on the cross, Lord, we we pray that you may receive all the Credit all the glory, all the honor, and the praise that you are due through us, through lives spent for your sake and your glory. And all this we ask in your name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. What a great time of worship that we've had together uh, already this morning. I'm excited now for you to hear this morning from Dr. Heath Thomas. Dr. Thomas is the president of Oklahoma Baptist University back in the fall. I was involved in leading some things for Oklahoma Baptist, and in the course of doing all of that and interacting with Dr. Thomas, I said, you know, I'd love to have you in Chickasha someday. Well, it, it worked out that we could do that, and, and actually we put this on the calendar months and months ago because uh, he's a busy man and uh, in high demand, and after you hear him preach this morning, no doubt you'll know why that is, but I'm excited for him to be here. I've shared with a few others that uh, though I didn't know Dr. Thomas until really in, in just the last couple of years, uh, I, I've long known who he was because his father, Dr. Claude Thomas, was the pastor at Council Road Baptist Church where I served on staff. Now I wasn't there under Dr. Thomas's leadership at Council Road, but uh, he was a legend, and uh, and and a uh, fantastic pastor and a great leader. Well, I was surprised, I was extra surprised this morning because he's here as well. So Dr. Claude Thomas is also in attendance with us this morning, and I'm excited to have him in our midst as well. But now would you join me in welcoming his son, Dr. Heath Thomas, president of OBU, to bring word this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah.
1: Well, it is a joy to be with you today, and You know, Pastor, I I do believe in giving honor where honor is due. And, church, you need to understand what a gift you have in your pastor and their family. And so, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here uh, and to worship with you this morning. It is a real joy. And uh, I am the president of OBU. I love serving my alma mater. I'm a 1998 graduate. My brother's a 1995 graduate. We do love the institution. We love the university. And uh, what I love most about the university is the direction that we're going. I believe God has called us to serve our churches and to serve our communities well by equipping the next generation of future shapers, listen to this, to live all of life all for Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a business person. It doesn't matter if you're going to be a teacher or a scientist or a mathematician or an educator or anything. Here's what we are called to. And this is something we're going to discover together today. God calls us not just to get a job. Now, at OBU, you're going to get a job. That's great. But can I just say God calls us to more than that. He calls us not to waste our lives, but to leverage our lives for Christ and his kingdom. And so that's what we're striving to do at OBU is to equip the next generation, not just to get a job, but to add value to our communities and our churches by, by leveraging everything that we are for the great name of Jesus. And uh, that's a different kind of education to be sure. But it's a worthy education indeed. And so if you're interested in that, I'll just say we have a table out there. And we're going to do a brief reception after the service. And everybody's invited. Don't have to be an alum of OBU. And uh, we've got some friends there who will be able to talk with you. Okay. What I need you to do is I need you to work with me this morning. Okay. So one of the things that I would like for us to do is to put on our thinking caps and I want you to think about the most significant transition or change that you've had in the past two years. What's the mo- most significant transition or change in your life in the past two years? Now, as soon as I said those words, immediately some of your, your minds were firing. Why? It doesn't take you long to think about that. But what I'd like for you to do is share that with the person beside you, if you're comfortable to do that. Ready? So I'm giving you permission to talk during my message, right? So share that most significant transition or change in the past two years. Ready? Go. Oh, good. I hear, I hear, I hear words. That's good. Excellent all right I'm going to time you you've got 10 seconds get ready three two one okay now for some of you how many of you are seniors and you're transitioning out of high school and you thought that's my that's my you know okay okay So, OBU just had its graduation yesterday, and we just saw about, uh, well, almost 300 uh, graduates go through uh, and, uh, you know, graduate from OBU yesterday. Uh, After shaking approximately 600 hands, I got up and told in the charge that I gave, I said, hey, before I say anything else, I can't feel my hand. Shaking so many hands. So that's one kind of transition. Some of you have changed jobs in the past two years. Some of us have experienced something that we know called COVID in the past two years. Some of us have experienced other transitions and change. And it's not something that we celebrate. It might be we have uh, encountered our bodies turning against us. Change is very difficult. And in fact, sometimes whether we celebrate or whether we mourn change, we could all agree that change is just part of life. And it's change that we want to talk about today. In fact, the title of today's message is Embracing Change in God's Kingdom. And to get us line of sight on how you and I can not just uh, uh, weather change, but rather embrace change, we're going to go to God's Word. Now, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. Now, 1 Samuel is actually uh, part of a larger book, 1 and 2 Samuel. In the ancient times, both of these books were on the same scroll. So it's one long story. And uh, 1 and 2 Samuel is really a fascinating story about transition and change. And where we're going to be looking today in First Samuel chapter 16 is a significant moment of change in the story of the people of Israel. And it's a transition of kingship. So if you have your Bible, turn to First Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to read about 13 verses there. So beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, for I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons." Stop. What is going on in this passage of Scripture? Well, There's a guy, his name is Samuel, he's the prophet of God. Samuel, if you read in the early chapters, chapters one through three of the book of 1 Samuel, find that that, uh, Samuel is an answer to prayer. In fact, his name, Samuel, comes from the Hebrew words, uh, Shemuel, which means God has heard. He is literally an answer to a mother's prayer. And this woman was uh, barren. She couldn't have children, and uh, it was her dream, her prayer, that she would have a child. And uh, her her husband, uh, like sadly many of us, was kind of uh, clueless as to what was going on with his spouse. And uh, so he thought, oh, it'll be okay, but it wasn't okay. And so she is forlorn, and God meets her at the sanctuary, and she begins to realize, oh, my goodness, God has answered my prayer, and I'm going to have a child. I'm going to name him God has heard, Samuel. And so God gives her Samuel as a child, and you know what she does as soon as God gives her a child? She gives him back to God, and he becomes a priest, but he's also a prophet as well, a spokesman for God. So Samuel is this major figure in the story of uh, the people of Israel, and as a prophet, God tells them, hey, we're going to transition from the time of judges, the charismatic leaders who who lead Israel, the people of Israel. We're going to transition from them to kings. And so Samuel, you're the one who's going to anoint the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. Now Saul's name comes from the Hebrew word, means uh, something like they've requested and what the people of Israel did is they, <clears throat> they wanted a king, but they wanted a king kind of like all the other nations, and that was Saul. By chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we discover that Saul, the first king of Israel, is no longer going to be king. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And in chapter 16, we discover who the next king of Israel will be. That's what's going on. And what God says here in the first couple of verses is we discover that the next king of Israel is not going to be Saul. It's going to come from the family of Jesse. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Okay? That's what's going on. Now, look at the next verse, verse 2. Samuel asked of the Lord, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. But the Lord answered, take a young cow with you. Say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord directed And went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and they asked, Do you come in peace? Stop. Why in the world would the elders, when Samuel comes into the city, why would they say, do you come in peace? I mean, after all, he's the prophet of God. He's well respected. He comes from the king's court, Saul. He came in that court and so... He was well known so why are they saying do you come in peace I'll tell you why chapter 15 the previous chapter let me give you the back story the backstory story is kind of like this Saul as I said is a king he's the first king of Israel he's the king that the people requested but he's not the king that they need and let me tell you why Saul, in chapter 15, was told, go, by God, go and destroy the Amalekites. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, say hi to them and conquer them. No. It's a hard text, everybody. And the Bible's full of them. This is a hard text. And the hard text is, God says, go destroy the Amalekites, wipe them out completely. Don't take anything. Even the animals, destroy the animals, Well, Saul, he goes in and he fights the battle, but he doesn't quite do what God says. In fact, he keeps the animals, a bunch of sheep. He also keeps the king, the Amalekite king, Agag. What a terrible name, Agag. He keeps the Amalekite king, King Agag, and all of the sheep. And so, what happens is Samuel is away and God uh, gets hold of Samuel and says, your boy is uh, rebelling against me. And so, Samuel runs to the camp where the Israelites are and when he rolls up, guess what he hears? And he says, what is this bleating of sheep in my ears? And Saul says, oh, uh, well, welcome to the party. We're going to make a big sacrifice to the Lord. He's quick on his feet like that. And Samuel says, hey, buddy, to obey God is better than sacrifice. Don't you know that you have rebelled against the word of God? And what's the deal with this king here, King Agag? Didn't God say to wipe out the Amalekites, everybody? Yeah, but Saul says, all my mighty men kind of influence me. So he's not a king, right? And Samuel says, hey, look, because you haven't obeyed the word of the Lord, the kingdom is going to be torn from you. And you're no longer going to be king. And then again, I told you it's a hard text. 1 Samuel fifteen. What he does is he takes a sword. Samuel does. <clears throat> you ready? He hacks Agag into pieces before the Lord. Okay, yikes! That's uh, that's tough. But apparently, the word got around. Don't me- don't mess with Samuel because when Samuel rolls up to Bethlehem in this chapter you can just see the big the elders of the city going is that Samuel? Oh is that Samuel? Uh-oh. Does he have a sword? Do you come in peace? They were nervous that Samuel was there to do in Bethlehem what he had done at the Amalekite camp with the Israelites. And what does Samuel say? Look at the verse. In peace, he replied. Verse 5. Not only am I not here to wipe you out, he says, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he said... "'Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him.' But the Lord said to Samuel, "'Hey, don't look at his appearance or his stature, "'because I've rejected him. "'Humans do not see what the Lord sees, "'for humans see what is visible, "'but the Lord sees the heart.' "'Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel.' Well, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these the only sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest, He answered, but right now he's out tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. And he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord became powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah, embracing change in God's kingdom. How can you and I learn to not just muddle our way through changes in life, but really embrace change so that change becomes something productive and beneficial to our lives rather than just something that we have to endure? Well, here's the first thing that we see from this passage of Scripture. Just three reflections from this passage. Listen to me. Number one, embrace the fact of change. Embrace the fact of change. Now, I told you that First and Second Samuel was actually one passage, one book. It was originally on one scroll in the ancient times. And the entirety of 1 and 2 Samuel is actually a book about change. A change in priestly leadership. When the book opens, the high priest is a guy named Eli. And there's a transition from Eli and his sons and the leadership of priesthood to Samuel and his family. There's a change in political leadership. When the book opens, there are judges leading the people of Israel. And there's a transition and change between the judges and the monarchy. Big political change. There's a whole lot of other changes that we find in this book. We're looking at one of them. In the monarchy, there's a change from the first king of Israel to the second king of Israel. So there's from Samuel to Saul, from Saul to David. Change. The book of First and 2 Samuel is about change. What you and I need to understand is change is not something that is optional in our lives. It is guaranteed. And you might be wondering, well, why is that? Well, let me share with you why that is. Because God made it that way. And you say, really? Yes, let's go back to the beginning. You remember Genesis 1? Day one, God created, uh, in the beginning, God created the the heavens and the earth. God created light and dark on day one. On day two, he made the, the waters above and the waters, I mean, he's doing all of this creative work. Waters above, waters beneath, day three, dry land, day four, sun, moon, and stars, day five. Birds and fishes, and then day six, he makes human beings. It's that fourth day that we need to pay attention to. Day one, he makes the light and the dark. Day four, in Genesis 1, God made the sun, moon, and stars. But the text gives us the reason for it. To designate days, months, and seasons. Now, while we might look at that and say, well, that's no big deal, it is a big deal. Why? Because days, months, and seasons are part of the created order. Do you know what that means for you and for me? Time is always marching on because God made it that way. As much as we want to put time in a bottle, as much as, you know, tears were shed yesterday, from our students, and actually my niece graduated yesterday from OBU, and you look back and you would say, oh, these were the best days of my life. I don't want anything to change. Guess what? You can't do it. Change is part of life. You think, well, my family, I pray it will never change. My friend, it will. My life, I pray that it will never change. It will. My my job, it will never change. It will. My church, it will never change. It will. Why? Because change is part of the created order. So if that's true and the Bible teaches us that time and progression of time and change, seasons are part of life, why do we have such a hard time with change? Well, because change is hard. And if you think it's just you or me, look at what Samuel does when he's faced with change. Look at it. Verse 2. When God says, how long are you going to mourn over me taking the kingdom from Saul? So Samuel is here mourning the fact that the first king of Israel is going away. And God is raising up a new king. And he's in mourning. God gave him his mourning period. But eventually God says, hey, how long are you going to do this? I've chosen somebody else. Let's go. And look at verse 2, what he says. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. When you and I face change, sometimes we experience the same emotion that Samuel did. Abject fear. Now in this case, it was actually a fear that The first king of Israel, Saul, would hear about him going to anoint the next king and kill him. That's probably not the fear experience that you and I are going to have. But fear is part of us navigating change and mastering that fear. When you and I experience change, one of the great quick emotions that you and I have to wrestle to the ground is fear. Why? Because change requires us to alter what we are doing and get in a new way of doing things. And that is difficult. My friends, if you and I are going to navigate the waters of transition, you and I are going to have to embrace change. Change is part of life. Change is part of life. I look at the graying of my hair and I know that life does not stand still. Children don't stay children, workplaces don't stay the same, relationships don't stay the same either. Life is always changing. In their uh, fantastic book, Changing Pastors, uh, their co-authors, Sweetser and McKinney say this, and I love this quote, listen to this, life is change, change is growth, and growth is painful. Painful. Life is change, change is growth, and growth is painful. Isn't that true? Even Samuel had to learn to embrace change in leadership, and to do so, he had to master that fear. And we'll talk about how to do that in just a second, but change is part of life. My friends, change is not a bad thing. In fact, change is a good thing. Change is a God thing. Could it be painful? Yes. Will it require you and me to alter what we're doing? Yes. And that's where the fear kicks in. I have to change my habits and what I am doing to meet the demands of the day. That's a difficult thing to do. But if God has ordered time on a progression, guess what? He has equipped us to be able to navigate change together. Change is an opportunity for growth for you and me. Change was an opportunity for growth for Samuel, for us to see what God is doing, for us to know how God wants to use us. And could I just say, church family, in this church as well? It's an opportunity for us to see how He can use us to reach those who don't know Jesus, to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you don't like change, I would just say this, join the club. But guess what? It does not have to be a negative experience in our life. It can be a stepping stone towards growth and new life in a relationship with God. So don't miss out on what God's doing because we're stuck in neutral or moving backwards. God wants you and me to move forward and to embrace change. So, how do you and I face our fears and move forward with change? Again, we get a glimpse here in this passage of Scripture. First of all, if you're gonna and I are gonna master uh, change and our fears in the midst of that change, here's what we gotta do. Number one, listen to the voice of God. When you are fearful or uncertain, God's voice is the anchor on which or to which we can moor our lives. The voice of God. Do you know in the Old Testament, over and over and over and over again, do you know what happens when God's people face change and it's scary? Do you know what happens? God speaks, and do you know what he says? I am with you. Do not fear. This is one of the great things we see in all of these huge transitional moments in the life of Israel. You think about the leadership of Joshua after Moses, the great lawgiver of the people of Israel. Joshua is stepping into leadership. And what does he say? He says, be strong, Joshua. Be courageous. Do not fear. Why? I'll be with you. It's the voice of God Speaking to his life that gives him confidence and strength. It's the presence of God that helps him know that he's not alone. He's got a great God who's charting the path with him. Listen, if you and I are going to navigate change together, we've got to listen to the voice of God. After all, God is speaking to Samuel, and Samuel is listening to God. And notice the nature of that listening. God says, Go to Bethlehem. And what does Samuel do? He went to Bethlehem, and the text says, As the Lord directed him. If you and I are going to wrestle our fears to the ground, listen, we got to listen and obey. Whatever God says to do, we say, Okay, listen to the voice of God. Second thing, if you and I are going to wrestle our fears to the ground in the midst of change, embrace change, here's, here's what we got to do. Not just listen to the voice of God. Listen to me. Worship God alone. Isn't it fascinating what God calls Samuel to do? Samuel is freaked out. Saul's going to kill me. Saul's going to kill me. He says, don't Don't worry. Go get an animal and make a sacrifice. What he's doing is he's calling him to worship. My friends, if you and I are going to embrace change, wrestle our fears to the ground in the midst of change, I got to tell you, the most transformative thing that we can do on a regular basis is worship. Do you know what we do here on a Sunday morning? We don't attend church. That's not what it's about. God isn't looking at your attendance record, and uh, whenever you miss a Sunday, He's going to hurl a lightning bolt at us. What's the nature of worship? Worship on a Sunday morning is us coming together, and we're saying, God, it has been a hellacious week. I've faced this challenge and this challenge and this uncertainty. I've I've faced this medical issue. The workplace is... Topsy-turvy, my home life is this way or that way. Lord, I've been looking for you. I've been pouring out my life. I've been sharing the gospel. I've been doing this. I've I've got to meet with you. And then we come together, all of us. We don't just sing songs. We encounter the risen Savior. And he meets us where we are. And he says, I'm with you. I love you. And when we encounter Christ, listen my friends, it gives us courage and strength for one more week. So we can face the world again. And then we come back. And we worship Jesus because it's transformative. Isn't it fascinating in this passage? When Samuel is afraid... God speaks, and He calls them to worship. My friends, if you're experiencing change, if we're experiencing change today, if you're facing fear, can I encourage you? Could I plead with you? Listen to the voice of God and worship God. And this is what will happen. Not only will fear be mastered, fear will be transformed to peace. You say, Heath, how do you know? I've experienced it. I've experienced it. You don't know this about me, but my wife and I have four kids. My wife, Jill, and I were married in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Since then, God has taken us on quite a journey. When my son, Harrison, was about four or five months old, we moved to the UK. We lived in the UK, didn't know anybody. We had a child over there. Let me just tell you, the healthcare experience in uh, nationalized health care is very different than the U.S. Our daughter, Bella, was born there. And while it was England, they don't speak English there. They say funny things. They call potato chips crisps, and they call French fries chips. I don't know what to say about that. We've moved house from England to North Carolina and then from North Carolina to Oklahoma. We've lived in 11 different houses in 22 years of marriage. Change is part of life. But every step along the way, do you know what carried us through? The voice of God and worship. And not just personal worship linking arms together with people like you in a local church where we found life and vitality. And I know that life in church is complicated. Sometimes it's messy. But it's also messy out there too. Might as well link up arms with people who love Jesus and are committed to the kingdom of God. Worship And listen to the voice of God. Today, you might be facing your fears. Could be about church. Could be about health. Could be about family. Could be about work. But you know what? I believe some in this congregation are facing challenges and changes that absolutely have us wrecked. If you and I are going to embrace change in God's kingdom, my friends, listen to God's voice. Let's worship him and see what the Lord does. This leads us to a second point from this passage. If you and I are going to embrace change, we must embrace God's plan. Embrace God's plan. I love this. When God is leading Samuel and the Israelites to the second phase of leadership in the monarchy, Samuel wants to go with the ways that things have always been. So he looks at Abinadab, and he looks at Shammah, and he looks at Eliab, and he looks at these boys of Jesse, and he thinks they've got to be exactly like Saul, tall, dark, and handsome. After all, Saul looked the part of the king. He acted the part of the king eventually. But what we find here is a key to the way that God does his work in the world. It shows up in verse 7. Look at what God says to Samuel. Don't look at this boy's appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. And then here is the nugget Man does not see what the Lord sees. Man sees what's visible, but the Lord sees the heart. This verse is significant because it alerts us how God moves in his world. What is God's plan? God has this thing. God likes to use insignificant, seemingly backwater people, people who you'd never expect to do extraordinary things in his world. He uses the least likely and the most unexpected to do his work. He says, don't look at this boy's appearance because he's thinking of Saul. Saul is the guy who looks like a king. He's tall. He's dark. He's handsome. He's big. And everybody looks at him and says, that's a king. So Samuel was looking at things from that perspective. But our perspective Oftentimes, it's not God's perspective. David was the man after God's own heart. David was God's choice. But listen to this. This should give us great comfort in a weird way. Listen. His own father didn't think he was king material. In fact, when the worship celebration was, that invitation was sent out, hey, Samuel says, hey, Jesse, get your sons, and we're going to worship together, and we're going to find the next king. Guess who didn't get invited? David! Jesse didn't even think to invite David. Why? He's too small. He's too young. He's too insignificant. By external appearances, David should not be God's choice. Saul should. Abinadab should. Shama should. Eliab should. We look at the external qualifications, but God looks at the internal qualifications. We look outside, God looks inside. When God moves and change occurs, God uses the least likely to do the greatest things. Think about it. Abram, the father of Israel, he was a foreigner and a sinner. Israel was not a mighty nation. In fact, they were weak, rebellious, and insignificant. David, he was a young, inexperienced runt. Why does God use the least likely and the insignificant to do his work? So everybody knows who will get the glory. If the strong person does the great thing, guess what? It's easy to pat the strong person on the back and say, you are very talented. But if God does... The extraordinary work in the congregation here in Chickasha. If God establishes a revival here in Chickasha, Oklahoma, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, who gets the glory? He does. That's the way it's always been, my friends. That's the way it's gonna be. God uses the unexpected so that He can get the glory. Now, why does that matter for you and me? Here's the point. Listen to me. You may not think God could ever use you. I'm too insignificant. I don't have the education. I don't talk very well. God could never use me. Do you know my past? Do you know what I've done in my life? For all the reasons you and I might not think that God could use you, These are the very reasons God could raise you up. God uses the little things of the world to do big things. God uses what the world sees to be insignificant people to show how significant God is. That's God's plan. If you and I are going to embrace change, we've got to embrace his plan. God can use you. How does that happen? Just be willing. Here I am. Be available. God, use me. Take these little bread and fishes that I have and multiply them for your kingdom. And that's what God does. And then finally, if you and I are going to embrace change, here's what we got to do embrace the fact of change, embrace God's plan, and then finally, embrace the king. In the Old Testament, the ultimate king is always God himself. So when God's people looked to the king of Israel, they were to look through the king of Israel to see God, the true king, the holy king of Israel. So when they were to look through Saul, they were to see the king. The problem with Saul is he did not reflect the glory of God, the true king. He didn't reflect that very well. In fact, he wanted to pat his own back and have his own kingdom rather than God's kingdom. Saul was given a scroll of the law, just like all the other kings were, so that he could meditate on it and live according to the kingdom of God. Saul didn't do that. He built his own kingdom. This reminds us, my friends, if you and I are going to embrace changes in life, we've got to embrace God the king first and foremost. We see the key here in verse... 14, of chapter 13, Uh, 1 Samuel 13, 14, God says of Samuel, he says, the Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. And he was saying this to Saul, because you have not done what the Lord has commanded. A man after his own heart. What does this mean? Well, it means that David... Is a man whose heart is a heart that follows after the Lord. So, the question you and I have to ask is who's in control of our lives? If we are going to embrace change, well, it's got to be God. We've got to build God's kingdom rather than our kingdom. Saul built his kingdom, and as a result, the kingdom was taken from him. But if David builds God's kingdom, God will give him the kingdom. So, who's in control? If you and I are going to embrace change, my friends, the primary one to whom we look, to whom we owe our allegiance, is God himself. This is true for the ancient Israelites. This is true for Samuel. This is true for David. It's no different for you and for me. It's no wonder that when Jesus is describing what life is all about, he doesn't say, seek your own kingdom first. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. If you and I are going to embrace change, we've got to realize it's God's world. God is king. We are not. What we've got to do is live under the lordship of God the king. In England, when we've gone off course or done badly or did a wrong action, I remember I learned this phrase. They would look at you and they say, you've lost the plot. That's not what it's about. Sometimes in our lives, because we're afraid or because we're trying to control the transition, what happens is we lose the plot. And we think that our lives are really about ourselves. They're not. Our lives are about Our lives are about His kingdom and His righteousness. You say, Well, what does that look like? I don't know. That's the wonderful thing about following Jesus. It's an unbelievable adventure. What does it look like to follow Jesus in your family? I don't know. What does it look like? What does it look like to leverage your life for the kingdom of God in your business, in your relationships, in your neighborhood? in your apartment complex, in your home. What does it look like to leverage this church for the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I I don't know. But here's what I can promise you. If you listen to the voice of God and you experience the transformation that happens in worship, God will speak and he'll give you the marching orders. He'll give you the direction. And you can go. Do you know the God of whom I'm speaking this morning? Are you embracing change? Or are you just kind of navigating change? Muddling through? Whatever you're facing, my friends, you don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor. But it comes in a vital living relationship with Jesus. I want to ask you to stand and I want to pray over you. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to embrace the fact of change. Help us to embrace your plan. Help us to embrace King Jesus in and through us. Lord, do it our yes is on the table. And whatever you say for us to do in response, our answer is yes, in Christ's name.